Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. So uh, we're busy with a series on the book of Colossians. And um, I hope you've been enjoying it, enjoying it so far. Anyone been enjoying it so far? Good, good. Um, it's, it's interesting that Paul writes, uh, and I mentioned this um, a few times before, that, that Paul writes to a, a church who is clearly a, a very committed and devoted Christian community. Yes, there are certain threats to, 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 to their community, but they, they're clearly already saved and so on. And, and if you read through the book of Colossians, it's, it's interesting how he constantly, it, it covers the basics, you know, and so often we think, no, you know, I'm, I'm past the milk, I, I want meat, you know. But, but often we as Christians, I mean, one of the things that Colossians teaches us is that we, we must always come back to the stuff that we consider basics. It's so easy to think, okay, I've got that. But the reality is, if we've got it, if we really had it, it would show more clearly in our lives. So often we're like, you know, when you go to the mall and you, and you sort of pay for your parking ticket and you put the, your coin in and it gets stuck. And you have to like hammer the machine. <laughs> and eventually the, the coin drops. That's where the, the saying comes from, the penny drops. So, so often we've put in the coin, but the penny hasn't dropped yet. Okay? We, we know it. You know, it's, it's sort of in the slot, but it hasn't really dropped and settled in our hearts and lives again. Um, so I w- I'm just going to read for us from, you can put it up on the screen, Colossians 1, verse 19 to 23. Um, and it says, uh, For in Him, that's in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of, the, of His cross. And you, who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Lord, we... We just come before you again today, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that we are always pleasantly surprised when we stand still around your word, pleasantly surprised that there's so much more to it, that it's so much richer and so much more nourishing than we realized. And we pray, Lord, that this morning again you will nourish us through your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll minister it to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that the penny will drop. That this will not just be truth in our heads, but it will be truth that drops down into our hearts and manifests in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, here in, I mean, in the, the translations, the English translations, um, you know, break, break this um, up, many of them into, um, you know, verse, I'm going to be focusing on verse 21 to 23. You know, break it. This, uh, the English translations often break it up into multiple sentences. But, but as Paul often does in the Greek, it's just one sentence, one long sentence. And it's interesting that in one sentence he can tell us 
uh, so much. And I just want to give you a little Bible study tip. When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading a portion, say you take, you, you've taken a portion like this and you're studying it uh, in, your, in your personal devotions, um, you know, one, one of the things that you need to do to read it well, to understand it well, and to receive everything that God has for you in it is to ask yourself a question that I always ask myself when I'm studying a scripture to preach on it. And that question is very simple. It's this. What is the one thing in this text that all the other things are about? So what, what is this text about? What, what is the main topic or theme in the text? So always ask yourself the question. It's a very simple question, but it's actually a very powerful question. What is the one thing that all the other things are about? Okay? So I want you to just turn in groups of two or three to one another and quickly discuss in verse 21 to 23. What is the one thing that all the other things are about? What is the, what is the theme or the, the topic of this passage? What do you think? Just take a minute or so, uh, a minute or two, and quickly discuss that. See what you come up with. Okay. Anyone have an answer? If you had to summarize it, you know, if you had to put the topic into one word, what word would you choose? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the right answer is always Jesus, right? When you're at church or at Sunday school, the right answer is always Jesus. It's like, like, it's like the little boy at kids' church who said, when, he, when, he, when, when the teacher held up a picture and asked, what's this? He said, teacher, I know the right answer is Jesus, but that looks a lot like a squirrel to me. <laughs> okay, anyone else? Reconciliation. There we go. Can you see that? It's reconciliation. Actually, in, 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 the, in, in the Greek, in the English, it's a bit harder to see with the translation because... Um, you know, the, the structure of the language is a bit different. But, but in, the, in the Greek, it's very clear that the word he, he has now reconciled, he has reconciled, that verb, reconciled, is the main verb of the sentence. Usually a sentence has a main verb and then supporting verbs. And it's, it's very clear in the Greek that that's the main verb. That's the main theme. It's about reconciliation. It's about the fact that Jesus or God in Christ is reconciling us or has reconciled us to himself. So, you know, if, if, you, could, if you can just go back to... Um, to, to verse 21 to 23, um, you know, the first part, verse, verse 21, is all about the need for reconciliation. We were alienated. There, there's a need for reconciliation. There was a need for reconciliation. The first part of verse 22 is, is all about how the means of reconciliation, how he has reconciled us. The second part is, it says, it says in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, is the purpose for reconciliation, why does he reconcile us? In order to do what? In order to present us to himself, to make us presentable to himself. The first part of verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith. In other words, the conditions for reconciliation. Okay? And then the last part of verse 23, uh, it talks about the gospel you heard uh, that has been proclaimed and, and of which I've become a minister. It, it, it's basically talking about the spread of that reconciliation throughout the world. So, so the main theme you can see is about reconciliation. It's the one thing that all the other things are about. Is this going to help you in your Bible study? You see, the thing is, <clears throat> in this church we believe that it's not my job to just tell you what the Bible means. 
It's not my job to read the Bible, understand it, and just explain it to you, and, 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 and you just sit back and receive. You have the responsibility and the privilege, the duty and the delight to study Scripture for yourself. I don't want you to just be dependent on me or on whoever's preaching to be able to understand the Bible. I want to in, help you to understand Scripture for yourself. So in other words, we don't just want to tell you what Scripture says, but we want to teach you how, how to study Scripture so that you can determine for yourself what Scripture says. Because God is speaking to you through Scripture. And, and you know, whatever you know, I do when I study Scripture and, and preach about it, you can do as well. So, um, let's, let's look at reconciliation. Firstly, Paul starts with um, the need for reconciliation. And he started by reminding the Colossian Christians that they had a need for reconciliation. And um, if, if you just go back to, to verse 21, um, he mentions it in, in quite strong language. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. Okay? You once were alienated, Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And, and, and notice that there are three aspects to the problem which causes the need for reconciliation. The first is a, is a relational aspect. You were alienated. You were alienated. Now, the word alienated means that that relationship had been ended, had been broken off, had been severed, and there was no more active right relationship. There was no more fellowship. There was no more interaction and intimacy, but relationship had been broken. If, if, if a, a couple is alienated or if a child is alienated from, from um, her parents, it means that relationship has been cut off. There's, relationship has ceased. All meaningful and intimate relationship has ceased. And it says that that was our situation with God. In fact, everyone starts there. In wrong relationship with God, having been alienated from God. And then he goes on and he says, so, so he firstly he mentions a relational part of, of the problem. But then he says, there's also a mental part of the problem. You are hostile in mind. You are enemies in your mind. Now, some of us might protest and say, but... You know, hang on, I was never really hostile towards God in my mind. I, I was never really hostile to I was raised in a Christian family, and I was actually fine. You know, even before I got born again, I, I wasn't hostile to God. Um, but the reality is, actually, we are. So, so many people think that they believe in God. If you ask people, many people who even are not Christians... Do you believe in God? They'll say, yes, yeah, I believe in God. But then they'll tell you who the God is that they believe in, and inevitably it's not the God of the Bible. You see, we are not hostile to the God we want to believe in, because the God we want to believe in is the God we're comfortable with, the God that we've made up in our minds, created in our minds, that, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking um, this morning about, there was this one um, European philosopher, I can't even remember who it was, I think it might have been Voltaire or one of those guys and, uh, uh, but, but I remember he was a very 
he wasn't he, he wasn't a, a holy guy. He wasn't a, a moral guy. He wasn't a good guy. You know, his his life was contrary to the word of God. And and he was lying on his deathbed, and someone asked him, "But aren't, aren't you afraid to die? And aren't you afraid that that you know?" when you stand before the judgment seat of God, that God's going to hold you accountable? And, and, and he said, no. You know, if, if there is a God, I don't, I don't believe in God, but if there is a God, he'll forgive me because that's his job. <laughs> and, and, and really, that's what so many people think. You know, if there is a God, it's his job to forgive. <laughs> so, so, so that God, who, who we think should just tolerate everything and just sweep everything under the rug and just not judge evil, we're, we're not hostile to that God. And, and, and to some extent, before we get saved, all of us have such a God in our minds to whom we are not hostile. But the true God, the God of the Bible, actually we are hostile to in our minds. So, so there's a relational problem, alienation, which leads to a mental problem, hostility in our minds, which leads to a behavioral problem, thirdly doing evil deeds because our relationship with God was wrong and because in our minds we were actually hostile towards God and we wanted to determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. You know, we, we often can blame Adam and even say, no, you know, if I were in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have eaten of the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But actually every day we do because we want to determine for ourselves what's good and evil, what's right and wrong and not depend on God. And then we want to act in line with that. So, so, so there's, there's a relational problem that leads to a mental problem of hostility to God that leads to a behavioral problem of doing evil deeds. Um, and, and that affects not just God negatively, but us negatively and the people around us negatively. And I just want you to, to see, I mean, Paul says it in one verse, and he says it very succinctly. Um, but how intense, according to Paul, the problem is. And we often see only the behavioral part. We, we, we think of only doing evil deeds as being sinful, and, and it is. But we often forget the internal hostility and the relational alienation and forget that that is also sin and that is also wrong. That is, that is actually the cause of the problem. And, and we tend to, especially in this modern era in which we live, where actually sin is not popular, Actually, that's, I need to explain myself because that's not entirely true. It's not popular to talk about sin. It's still popular to commit sin. Okay? <laughs> it's always been popular to commit sin. But, but it's not popular to talk about sin, you know? And, 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 you know, we sort of water down sin, you know? But, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. And, 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 I, and I really want you to get this. If we make light of our sin, we also make light of our salvation, if we underestimate our sin, then we will inevitably end up underestimating God's salvation by which he saved us from our sin and the Savior through whom he saved us from that sin. The only way you can truly appreciate your Savior and your salvation is if you appreciate your sin. And that's why Paul doesn't water it down. He, he says it as it is straight, offensive as it might be to us. He says this is the problem and it's a serious problem. Appreciate the problem and you'll be able to appreciate the solution. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's not clear in, in, in the English, but, you know, Paul uses sort of a roundabout way of talking about it. He says, you were, um, 
you were in being alienated from God. It, it's not just something that you experience from time to time. It was a state of being. Your very nature was that in your being you were alienated from God. You were hostile in your minds. You were evil in your deeds um, towards God. So, so it's, it's a continual state of, of alienation that God saves us from. Okay, and then he goes on and he says, he talks about the, not just the need for reconciliation, but the means of reconciliation. Um, and the, the, the language that he uses is, is Old Testament sacrificial language. If you, if you look in, in verse 22, he, he now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. Uh, in, in the previous verse, he talks about the blood of the cross. It's sacrificial language that he uses. The, the language of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the language of animal sacrifices that, that had to be made um, in order to atone for sin. And um, what, it, what he's saying is that there's a debt that our alienation, our hostility, and our evil deeds incurs towards God. And that debt can only be paid with blood, only be paid with sacrifice. And, and what it was in the Old Testament, the, um, the Israelites, when they, they, they had to be perfect before God, and if they weren't, then something that was an, a, a sacrifice that, that could take their place, that could represent them, had to be killed in their place, sacrificed in their, in their place. Now, I want you to notice here, it says... Alienated, and the opposite of alienated is reconciled. Um, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But then we, that's the problem. But when he talks about solution, he doesn't. He only mentions the solution to being alienated. He says he has now reconciled. He doesn't mention the opposite of being hostile in mind or the opposite of doing evil deeds. Why? That tells us that the root of our problem is wrong relationship with God. The mental problem and the behavioral problem flow out of the relational problem. And if God solves the relational problem, then the mental problem and the behavioral problem will be solved as well. If you solve the root of the problem, then the branches and the fruit will change as well. And that's why Jesus came to restore us to right relationship. Because when we're brought into right relationship with God, then the other things fall into place. And, and, and this is an extremely important principle in our lives that, that we can never violate. Unless God occupies the right place in your life, everything else will be out of place. But once God is brought into the right place... In your life, everything else falls into place. Even when things go wrong, when God is in the right place, and when you're in right relationship with God, everything else falls into place. Um, but this also tells us, it says he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death. It, it, it tells us that because we who have bodies... Later on in, in Colossians, he talks about angels. You know, angel, an angel couldn't die for us because an angel didn't, angels didn't sin in the body. We sinned in the body. So someone had to, <laughs> had to come in the flesh to die for us. And that's what God did. And Christianity is the only religion in which the God of that religion became human, fully human, 
and died on behalf of those humans in the flesh as a human to pay for the sins committed in the flesh as humans. Um, that's what Jesus did for us. Um, he was given a physical body so that he could sacrifice it. But it also tells us how serious the problem is. You, you always know how serious a crime is by the, by the punishment for the crime or by the debt that needs to be paid. You know, if you, if you stole something small, then you have to pay back a small debt. But if you sell something big, then you have to pay back a big debt. Well, what's the payment? The death of the Son of God. The greatest payment ever made. And that tells us how serious the problem is as well. Um, only the debt incurred was so great that only the death of the God-man himself could pay for it. And that brings us to a place. Now, I just want you to, to notice sort of um, two phrases here. And, and this is sort of the, you know, if you had to summarize these verses. You were once alienated. You are now reconciled in order to be presentable if you continue in the faith. Okay? But those two first two words, you were once alienated, but you are now reconciled. In other words, the whole of the Christian life can be represented by a, a once and a now, a before and an after. Okay? We, we sing about it, don't we? I'm going to ask Nikki to come forward, and, and uh, you know she'd agree to share a bit of her testimony with us. Come, come forward, Nikki. But we sing about it, don't we? Don't we? We see amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was alienated, but now I'm reconciled. I was blind, but now I see. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, so my name is Nikki. Sorry, Nikki. <laughs> Um, yeah so I didn't grow up in a in a very religious home or anything like that Um, and I was basically very much left to myself my parents were like really busy people they were always working and we didn't have a very close like family unit you know they my parents were working a lot and so yeah, I was very much ra- like left to kind of ra- raise myself, and um, I didn't know. I knew that there was a God, but um, I used to spend a lot of time on my grand's farm in Cullinan, and there I had these terrible nightmares, and I knew that there were like these sort of evil things following me around, like like I knew as a child that there were there was a spiritual realm. Let me put it that way. So in my logical kind of childlike understanding, I knew if there was this darkness, there must be the opposite. There must be something to counter this, this evil that I was experiencing. And I went to church with um, neighbors who were Christians, who were reborn Christians, because um, my parents were not churchgoers. Only later did my dad actually start going to church. Um, and when I... I went to my I went to them and I, I went to my parents and I said, Look, what are we? You know, my dad my mom kinda said, No, we kinda Catholic because she has like a Catholic background and I I just knew that that wasn't sorry, no offense, but I knew that that wasn't what I was looking for. Um and then my dad kinda said, No, you know, we kinda nothing. So I was like, Okay, well, whatever <laughs> Okay <laughs> I'll have to figure this out myself then obviously <laughs> 
So, so anyway, the Lord was there all the time, though. I mean, <laughs> so I went with my neighbors <laughs> to church. <laughs> and I saw books about the blood and the cross. And when I, you know, I must have been about 11 or 12, and I knew when I saw these books and, and it spoke about the blood of Christ and the cross, I knew that that was what I was looking for. I knew that that was the answer. And even though nobody had told me, I knew that that was the answer because I knew like, you know, whatever I needed was something that had to have power. It had to, you know, it had to be powerful. Otherwise, like, what's the point? You know what I mean? So, so um, yeah, anyway, so long story short, I had a very lonely upbringing, not many friends. I didn't fit in anywhere because um, the, the boys thought I was too much like a tomboy and the girls thought I was too much like a tomboy. So I was kind of always in between um, this kind of nowhere land, um, relationally speaking. And um, so, yeah, so I kind of never fitted into either camp. I, I, um, I was very much like a tomboy growing up. And later that kind of developed, um, and the enemy came into my life and started, you know, in, in high school started to convince me and, and lead me into a, a gay lifestyle. He, he kind of came to me and said, no, Nikki, this is what you are. And he sent people to, you know, he sent people to affirm that, like other gay women and, um, you know, saying, listen, Nikki, you're actually, you're actually gay and, you know, why don't you just accept it? And um, so I started veering more and more into that lifestyle. And with it, um, you know, I had friends who were worldly, and we started in the whole rave culture in Joburg. So I started doing um, some like drugs as well. We started, we'd start raving every weekend. I'd go to Yeovil, and you know, you're talking like over 20 years ago. So it's like a long time ago. <laughs> and um, you know, we'd, we'd smoke dope, and then started with LSD, and then eventually ecstasy, and and some you know, those kind of hard drugs, and. Um, but at this time, you know, I was also very, very broken. Like, I was trying to fill the void in me um, with drugs and, you know, music, raving, that whole thing, and, um, and, and women as well, like going into that whole lifestyle. And, um, but God was always there. You know, my gran used to come visit, and she was saved. She was like a really, just a very blessed woman, my dad's mom. And she, every time she came to visit, she would speak directly into my life. Um, and she eventually, one day she came to me, I was about 15, she came to me and she gave me a Bible. Um, well, this was before everything happened, but she gave me a Bible and she said, Nikki, I hope one day you read this and it changes your life. And I was like, I don't want that. I was, I was a teenager. I thought God was like a party pooper, you know. So <laughs> just had to spoil my fun. It was like, no. No, I just had a party, you know. So, so, and then at the same time, I actually felt the Lord come into my room as well that same day, and he, I felt His presence in in, in my room, saying, "Nikki," and I heard Him like an internal audible voice saying, "Nikki, follow, come, follow me." And I was like, "No," like I wasn't ready. I was like, "No," I, I, as I say, I thought God was like this there to sort of spoil my fun, you know. So he left me, the gentleman that he is, he left me, and then I went on that whole path that I just spoke about um, with the drugs and, and, and the homosexuality and everything. And God was always there, though. I had people, my dad was praying for me, and my gran was praying for me, 
and I started feeling eventually very, very convicted about my lifestyle. And, you know, I, had, I started making friends with Christians because now I was at Wits Tech before it became UJ. I was studying art, and um, God sent Christians. Like, I watched them from a distance. But eventually, the more convicted and the more uh, ready I was for salvation, the closer I started drawing to, to, to them, you know. And I, I, they never judged me. They knew my lifestyle. They never judged me. They just loved me, and they were praying for me. And, um, and, and as the relationship grew, I could ask more and more pertinent questions, like, what does the Bible say about this? Because um, I knew in my own conscience, I knew in myself that I couldn't be uh, living the lifestyle that I was and, and, and serve Christ. I knew that it was, you know, I'm very black or, black or white. It's like I knew it was either this or it's Jesus, but you can't have both. And, um, yeah, so I eventually, like, I went to church with um, another friend of mine, actually, who was also praying for me, who'd invite me every single weekend, and I'd always say no, every week she'd invite me to church, and I would just say no. And eventually, one day, I said, yes, okay, I'll go with you. And um, when I walked in there, there was a man preaching about Jesus being the well of living water, and I used to shave my hair. I mean, I looked like... My husband says a concentration camp kid, you know. <laughs> very short hair, and I was skinny, and I looked very much like a boy because that's what I thought I was. So, so, <laughs> so I gave an altar call, and I went forward, and and I just gave my life over. But there, uh, I I just started crying, you know, and I and I felt a, an absolute physical weight lift off my shoulders that day while I stood there. I so I was just. I totally gave my life over to Christ, and yeah, I just felt a weight lift off my shoulders. And from that day on, he started to radically change my life. He, a friend of mine came and he said to me, Nikki, the Lord has actually physically changed your face. Um, he really started to totally turn my life around, because I knew I wanted to be married and have a family, but I didn't know how to, to bridge the gap between what I was and, and all of this brokenness and everything else to there. I knew that I wanted, but I didn't know how to bridge the gap. And then Jesus came and he bridged that gap. And he said, okay, Nikki, you know, I used to drive home tripping. Like, I mean, like my car was, I felt like my car was stationary and the road was like a conveyor belt, you know. (laughs) So the fact that I didn't die in a car accident is an absolute miracle. And and after I got, and, and one day I was driving home like that, and I, and I just, I was crying out to God in my heart. I was saying, Lord, I just want a new, an, another chance. I want a new, like, to start again. I knew I'd made a mess, you know, but I, I, I wanted it to start again. And like, while I was driving, like, and after I got saved, the Lord came to me and he said, here we go, Nikki. Here's your clean slate. Now, you can, like a reset you can start again. Like, now, nah, here's your clean slate. And he came and he totally changed my life around. He started an, an internal healing. He started to, to change my relationships. He, I lost a lot of friends, but he also started to realign my relationships and how I relate to the sexes. Um, and, you know, my relationship with my parents, uh, he, he just did a, a total work. And, um, and it wasn't me. I mean, it was impossible. I couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know. I just couldn't do it. And, um, yeah, and then today I've, I mean, that was now over 25 years ago. Um, 
I got, you know, I got baptized, spirit-filled and all that, and then I've been married now 26 years. I've got three almost grown children, um, and yeah, it's all God, I promise you. It is, I could never have done that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Amen. Wonderful testimony, eh? And, and just hostility towards God, hostility towards Christians and, and all kinds of people, and God just bringing reconciliation and restoring all of that. For me, it was more a case because I was raised more in a religious family. So for me, it was more a problem. My hostility manifested as indifference. But it was the same problem, and God came and reconciled. Uh, and, and brought together. So then, um, you know, Paul talks about the purpose of this reconciliation, and, and the purpose is um, something very simple that that is um, mentioned in the Old Testament. He says to present you. We can just go back to to the to the scripture uh, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. He will present you before Himself, holy, blameless, and. I just want you to go, go to that slide that has the, the Greek text on it. I just want to show you something. There we go. Okay. Okay. So you don't have to be able to read it. I'm, I'm going to... So it says hagios, uh, which means um, holy. Kai, that's the, that's the word and. Amomus, um, kai anankletus. Okay. Now what I want you to see here is that they all three start with an alpha. So what's Paul doing here? He's doing alliteration. Okay, so don't give me trouble again when I do alliteration. Paul does it as well, okay? <laughs> you guys always laugh at me when I do alliteration. Paul also does it, okay? I'm being biblical. <laughs> I just wanted to show you that. But, <laughs> but these words, when you, when you go and look them up, you'll find them all over the Old Testament to talk about, you know, holy, um, blameless, above reproach. You'll, you'll find them in two ways. You'll, you'll find them in scriptures that require us to be that way. And, and, and you know, you have all these clean laws and, and all, I mean, all the moral laws, all the ethical laws, all the, the clean laws, you know. You, 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 you could only be pre- present yourself before God at the temple in His presence for fellowship with Him, for interaction with Him, if you were holy, if you were separated from the world and the things of the world. You know, if you were clean, if you were blameless, if you were above reproach. Um, and, and I mean, it included all kinds of stuff. Not just you shall not commit murder or you shall not steal or, 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 or all those, those moral laws, but also stuff like you must eat the right food. You're not allowed to eat pork or shellfish. Okay? Not you mustn't be selfish, but I mean, you mustn't be shellfish, <laughs> but you mustn't eat shellfish. Okay? Okay? But not even, you, you, you may not even come into God's presence wearing the wrong clothes. You know, you, you may not mix, like, you know, all kinds of different stuff. You know, all kinds of different, um, you know, wool and, and leather and all that kind of stuff. You, you, you're not allowed to mix your clothes. You're not allowed to have contact with, you know, um, dead people or with, with graves or with unclean people. If, if someone is unclean and they touch you, then you become unclean and you no longer could, you could no longer be presented before God. And if, 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 if there was something wrong with you physically, you know, if you had a club foot or if you were a dwarf or if you were a eunuch or, or you know, anything physically wrong with you, then you could also, you were also not presentable to God. Or if you had any kind of skin problem or, I mean, there were, the, the whole point of it is that the list was so long and so impossible to consistently live by that 
God was using those clean laws and, and all that kind of stuff as a picture of how we, are, how we become unclean spiritually. And, and, and the point is that in your normal interaction and in, a, in, a, in your normal living in a sinful world, inevitably you will become unclean and unpresentable to God. That's the whole point. And you need to be made presentable, reconciled to God and made presentable. Now, we don't even need the Old Testament to tell us this. Our, our common sense tells us this. I mean, look around yourself. You'll see that people are dressed. Because we know that in order to make ourselves presentable in public to other people, we, <laughs> we have to dress, okay? <laughs> okay? But not only that, we need to dress appropriately. We need to be clean. Why do we want to be clean? Because we don't want to smell bad. We want to be presentable to the people around us. Why do we brush our teeth? You know, it's because, you know, when I, when, when I pray for you or something, I don't want you to be slain in the spirit because of my bad breath. I don't want you to fall over because of my bad breath. I want, I want to be presentable to you. You know, when, when you're going through your teenage years, you know, way back when I was a teenager and they didn't have all these miracle drugs for acne and stuff, when you had like acne and bad skin, you looked in the mirror and you decided who you were actually going to see today. Right? Because if I have too many, you know, like blemishes, then I, there are certain people I don't want to see. <laughs> and I don't want them to see me, <laughs> you know. So even in the natural, we do this. We make ourselves presentable to the people that we want to be pre presented to. <clears throat> the, the problem is because often we're hostile in mind towards God, we don't, want to, we don't even consider being presentable to Him. But we need to be made presentable to God, uh, to be holy, separated from, from the world and from sin, and separated unto God. We need to be blameless. We need to be faultless. We need to have no defect, spiritually speaking. We need to be above reproach, above accusation. No accusation must be brought against us. And either we are that, and, and no one can consistently be that. Or, in the Old Testament it says you need to present a sacrifice that is that in your place. And then your uncleanness, your unacceptableness, your unpresentableness, your sinfulness is given to the sacrifice and it's, it's holiness, it's blamelessness, it's perfection is given to you. There's an exchange that happens. And the only human being that ever consistently lived that way is, of course, Jesus. And that's why he had to come in the body of, the, of his flesh and live the perfect life and then die an innocent death in our place so that he became the sacrifice that was acceptable, that was holy, blameless, and above reproach, so that all of those things, his being holy, blameless, and above reproach, can be given to us, so that we could be presented to God. Now, notice it says that, if you could just go back to the scripture, um, in order to present you holy, blameless, and acceptable before him, before himself, God presents. Either you're going to present yourself before God, in which case you're not going to be good enough, or you can allow Jesus to present you before God, in which case you can be wholly blameless and acceptable. It's the difference between standing and carrying your own weight and sitting and having your weight carried by another. Um, then he goes on and he, and he says, um, if indeed... So here's the condition of the reconciliation. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Um, 
So the condition for reconciliation is that we must continue in the faith. You know, in, in verse 20, it talks about, you know, in Christ, God is reconciling everything to himself. Not just us, but everything. And many people have, have sort of wrongly used that verse to say, from the, th- from the third century, to say, no, God's actually going to save everyone and everything. You know, the, the blood of Jesus and, and the salvation of God is so powerful that you know, God will empty hell, and even sinners who, who went to hell will be taken out of hell and be saved. The devil himself will be saved by God. But that's not what the text is saying. It's talking about, in, in the first part of, we looked at, about, at that in, in previous weeks, the first part of that hymn, verse 15 to, to 20, it's talking about Christ as head or firstborn over creation, and then the second part is talking about him as head or firstborn of the new creation or over the new creation. In other words, everything that is part of the new creation will be reconciled to God. Okay? But here he clearly says that there are conditions. You need to continue in the faith. Not everyone will be reconciled. Not everyone will be saved. You need to, be, you need to continue in the faith. And he, and he mentions two positive aspects. He says, um, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. And, and, and those words are, are of um, construction words. Um, Stable means having been established on the foundation that is laid. In other words, he lays the foundation and we need to be established on that foundation. And and then steadfast means built in a sturdy way. Okay? And that means that there's a a work of laying a foundation that God has already done in our lives and and, and we must make sure we build on the foundation that he laid, no other foundation. And and then there's a continuing work of being built strong. We as living stones are being built up a dwelling for God and we must make sure that that we allow him to build us and build us strong so we stand steadfast in the faith. And then he says, uh, gives a negative one, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You see, the, the danger is here and this is, Probably the main danger being addressed in the book of Colossians. The main danger for us as Christians is that we can get in through faith in the gospel and then think that we can get on through something else. The danger is that we shift away from the hope of the gospel to another hope. To hoping for and hoping in something else. And it's so easy to do. Because we have all kinds of earthly hopes which are understandable and legitimate. I hope for a husband or a wife. I hope for children. I hope for a comfortable life. I hope for, you know, fill in the blanks. And, and it's not wrong to hope for those things. But none of those things can be our ultimate hope. You see, the main thing, the main point of our lives is that what, not only do we need to be presented before God now in order to relate to Him? But one day on Judgment Day, we need to be presented before God and be acceptable to Him, presentable to Him. You see, it's, um, it's like when you, you know, we have three of our, all three of our kids are at school. You know, Kirsten is in, in, in high school. And, you, you know, she studies for exams and tests and stuff. You know, but the, the, the moment that determines whether you actually know the work and whether you actually pass, whether you actually make it, is the test that you write, the exam that you write. Have you actually passed? And 
in a in a very real sense in in that sense our lives is in a sense a dress rehearsal a, a test and judgment day is the exam and the hope of the gospel is the hope listen to this because this is the essence of it the hope that one day on judgment day you will be presented by Jesus as holy blameless and above reproach beyond accusation before God on judgment day acceptable presentable to him reconciled to him and that is the only day that really matters that is the hope in other words it's a hope that goes beyond this life a hope for eternity Every other hope that we have is a hope that's only in this life. If, you, if your ultimate hope is a hope for something in this life, it's a false hope. The hope of the gospel is a hope for eternity, for right relationship with God in eternity, to pass the only test that will really matter. That is the test we need to prepare for. That is the test we need to prepare our children for. That is the test we need to pre- pre- prepare our neighbors for and our colleagues for. Because that is the only test that will matter in eternity. If you don't make it on judgment day, it doesn't matter how much money you've made, how you know, beautiful or, or handsome your spouse is, how successful your children are, or how well-adjusted they are. If, if we don't make it in judgment day, nothing, none of that will matter in the least. And the hope of the gospel is the hope that on judgment day, we will be treated as Christ deserves to be treated, because Christ was treated as we deserve to be treated, and we put our faith, our trust in Him. In other words, here's, here's the point. That test, the most important test, the only test that matters, you can't pass it by yourself. You can study as hard as you want, you can work as hard as you want, you, you need a tutor. <laughs> you need someone to help you. To, actually, someone to write the test for you. And that's what Jesus did. And by faith, you can access the, the results he has for you. Now, I just want to close, and I'm going to do this very uh, briefly. Just the last verse, um, so I'm a little bit over my time. If you can just uh, put up the screen again. Verse 23 says, um, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And, and you know, I, I just want to encourage you, you know, make up your mind that you're not going to shift from the hope of the gospel. You know that old song? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world, be- the, the, the cross before me, the world behind me. So we need to make up, by faith, make up our minds and say, stable and steadfast in the faith. I'm going to continue following Jesus. I've made up my mind. Um, but then just notice here in the last part of the verse, he says, he talks about the hope of the gospel you've heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Just notice three progressive steps in the spreading of the gospel. The gospel is a gospel that is heard. We first need to hear the gospel and become objects of reconciliation. But then we need to go a step further and we need to proclaim the gospel and become agents of reconciliation. And then we need to follow in Paul's footstep and say, I'm not just going to from time to time proclaim the gospel. I'm going to become a minister, a servant of the gospel. Where everything that I do in my life is in service of the gospel. And you can do that. You can raise children as a servant of the gospel. 
You can work as an accountant or a teacher or an engineer as a servant of the gospel. You can do friendship as a servant of the gospel. There's nothing that you cannot do as a servant of the gospel. And that is what Paul is calling us into, into this progressive entering into, this reconciliation that we've received. Being objects of reconciliation, we must now become agents of reconciliation and take the same reconciliation out into the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.